Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jochum. We are here today to bring you everything Formula One. Plenty of interesting topics in the news, but I think we have to start, Matt, with the biggest disappointment of the week. Our pal William story. We were we were not planning to really do much this week because we were supposed to talk to him this morning. He stood us up. I got into a tech uh, a DM an hour later. Said sorry, can you chat in an hour? I said no. I have these things called conference calls that take up a lot of my day, and he seemed very unwilling to work around my schedule. It's pretty much his time or no time, which shouldn't come to a shock to anybody. So. I think we're going to scratch that one off the list because I left infuriated by the end of the DMs as Matt and Jess are well aware. I shouldn't be surprised, and yet I'm still annoyed. I was really looking forward to him uh, expressing his opinion about our opinions because allegedly he listened to our last episode, and I was going to point blank ask him something along the lines of, your last ordeal with Haas went so well. What do you think the public reaction is going to be this time around when you announce your new deal? And I was the, genuinely the curious, genuinely curious what he was going to say because I'm like, you realize that people kind of think like this whole thing is like a meme now, right? Like you guys are just like this meme and nobody takes you guys seriously, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't get the satisfaction, unfortunately. Yeah. I, yeah, also, we'll good, also, good. Hurdy gives good medical advice. Yeah, yeah. Should I say? Should I say that, or should I skip it? Uh, well, I mean, since he's tweeted it, he's tweeted it in the past, so it's not like it's a secret. Okay. So, for those wondering what I'm talking about, you'll probably you may see on my social media by the time this this episode airs. He asks, "Well, can you find some time to chat?" I, I don't know if he said later today or tomorrow. I'd have to go back through my my DMs. I said, "No, unfortunately." Taking a half day tomorrow, I am actually uh, lucky enough to be getting my second COVID vaccine in the afternoon, and it's about a, I have about a half hour drive, so I want to give myself plenty of time. And uh, I got a long winded message, which I am looking for right now. My advice is don't have it. You are at no risk. Time will tell. These vaccines are highly dodgy. And he has said that COVID is a hoax, like Matt said, and, and whatnot. So just in case anybody is wondering, please don't take your medical advice from <laughs> William Story. I just, I was honestly, I think I cursed at the microwave when I got that message from him because I was making myself lunch. And my wife looked at me like, are you okay? And I told her the story and she was just like, okay. Why are you getting angry at him? But she doesn't know the whole backstory. Yeah, and to be fair, don't take your energy drink advice from William Story either. <laughs> oh, Mike was drinking water. That was perfectly timed. Yeah, I almost spilled coffee all over me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Red Bull, Alpha Male, and Alpha Towery launched their cars this week. I don't think I missed any, right? Those are the three. Not much to really say. Not Ferrari hasn't. Yeah, Ferrari's coming up. Not much to really say. I mean, obviously, the visual differences will be apparent. Uh, I think out of those three, Alpha definitely looks the most different from last year. Um, yeah. But Wait, which Alpha? 
sorry, alpha male, the alpha. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously the same sort of rule specifications are for everybody. So everybody has to adhere to the whole baseboard things, et cetera. Uh, so we really won't know until we get on track. We do have a point to talk about with Ferrari here in a little bit. Um, liveries, Red Bull was the same again. Alpha Mayo is kind of an inverse of itself from last year. And Alpha Tauri is also a different pattern and also kind of inverted a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you have an opinion on any of the three that were launched this week. Red Bull, same as always. I just wish they would slightly switch it up, do something different. Alpha Tauri, I think I shared in a, the, our, your Xbox Twitter group the inverted design of that that somebody made, which looks much better than the actual one. It's not bad. It's just I'm a big navy blue fan, so it's it's all right. The Alpha Romeo is definitely with the white on top and the red on bottom does look really slick, but that's pretty much all I have on that. Yeah, I think the the Alpha looks a lot better. I like the new red and white kind of look on that. Alpha Towery, yeah, it looks pretty good. Red Bull, I think the current livery they've they're running and they have run since 2016, I think 20, 2015, 2016. Somewhere uh, in there. I love it. I think it's one of my favorite liveries out there. It also kind of brought Matt into the 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 forefront. Because, you know, since then, a lot of other teams have adopted Matt. And I, I think it looks great on a Formula One car. Um, so, you know, it's I'm one of those guys, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, and with your comment about Alpha Towery, now you say that. I often find myself, there's a lot of good designers out there on social media with their livery designs. I often find myself liking what I see on there from various people way more than what the F1 teams actually go with. I yep. don't know... I don't know who's being consulted in these livery decisions. Not that they don't, they're not, they're not bad. It's just some of the ones we see online are epic. Um, But all that kind of wraps into my super duper secret host question that Mike has no idea what it's about to be about. So you commented about Red Bull and how, you know, you wish you, they would change a thing or two, et cetera, et cetera. What is your overall stance on formula one liveries? Obviously, we have people like Mercedes, other than really last year, uh, McLaren back in the day with Marlboro, Ferrari, basically the same every year to an extent. Uh, the McLaren West cars were almost the same between 1997 and 2005, thereabouts. What is your opinion on kind of the new norm of hyperactivity maybe fueled by our generation and social media about needing to change every year to stand out. Do you like teams switching it up every year or do you prefer teams to kind of moderately tweak, like maybe minusculely tweak a really good livery every year? I would, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing some change in Red Bull because it's been, you know, six seasons now or so. Not saying that your original point of it being a great livery, especially with that matte navy blue and whatnot, is is amazing. But I, w- I wouldn't mind a little change. I, I was growing kind of tired of the silver Mercedes every year until obviously this year. Ferrari red, you know, they do a little bit of tweaking here and there every once in a while. Fine with that. I don't think we need to see like wholesale changes like Ferrari go like, all black with a red stripe or something crazy like that. Uh, that's just that's just an example. 
I, you know, all black and, you know, we don't need to see Williams with rich energy on it or, or anything like that. Well, but what's that? Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I would tend to lean towards the side of a little bit of change is cool, but I don't think we need to see crazy change every year. Although I do enjoy scrolling through all the concepts that come out over the off seasons every year. There, there's some amazing designers out there that post stuff on social media, but I, yeah, I don't think big change every year is the way to go, especially in formula one. I'll stick with the, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So McLaren's looked the same for over a decade uh, with Marlboro cars and, it was just a great looking livery, and your team Leighton House was pretty much the same for four or five years in a row. My, my so, yeah. boys. As long as livery doesn't suck, yeah, don't change it. Speaking of Alfa Romeo, so like I said, we were going to come back to that. So their team principal, whose name I actually learned for the first time today, <laughs> Fred Vasseur, came out and said that you know one of the reasons that Alfa Haas and Ferrari were all poor last year was because Ferrari was way down in horsepower compared to the previous season. He is saying that Ferrari has recovered a large part of the power deficit in the offseason and that Alfa Romeo should get the benefit of that for this season. And obviously that means you'd think Haas and Ferrari will also get that benefit. How, I mean, this is just the team principal of Alfa. He's an indirectly employed by Ferrari, but what do you think of the comments? Do we think this will in turn lead to a resurgence of Ferrari this year? Is it Frederick Vasseur that said that? Yes. I just go, he said Fred Vasseur. It just says Fred Vasseur. His name's Frederick. I, that's what they called him on. I listened to his interview on a podcast last year, so I called him Frederick on everything. Anyway, I don't, this, this is one of those things to me that for those who don't follow baseball, every spring training guys come into spring training in baseball and go, I'm in the best shape of my life. I'm going to have an amazing <laughs> year and about one time out of it. I mean, it's really all sports. They say I'm in the best shape of my career, blah, blah, blah. And, and sometimes it's true. Usually it's not. So, and will it show in testing? Doesn't really matter to me because we don't know what, testing programs guys are working on but i i think a competitive ferrari is good for formula one because when ferrari is bad it's it's you know you might lose some of the more casual large italian fan base but i i think any you know saying anything like like that now is just saying i'm in the best shape of my life except it's an engine are you indirectly throwing shade at Bryce Harper? Did he say that recently? No, but it sounds like something he would say when his he's only got like what, like nine years left in his contract or something. I mean, I'm not a Phillies fan, That's so right. you're a stupid Yankees fan. Go away. Um, Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I'm hopeful. I, I I think in this new era, I can somewhat like Ferrari. I think if I was a hardcore fan in like the early 2000s with John Todd and all of his antics, I think I would absolutely hate Ferrari. Uh, they don't really give me a reason to hate them nowadays, especially now that Sebastian's gone. Um, I thought <laughs> the blatant favoritism towards him was ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I uh, I hope Ferrari succeeds. I really like, I think Leclerc Science is one of their most, more solid driver lineups in recent memories. So um, 
yeah, I hope they do really well this year. All right, let's scroll down here. One that caught my eye. When did this article actually come out? Just a couple of days ago. An investment firm is potentially looking to join Formula One as a co-owner with Andretti Autosport. So I thought that was particularly interesting. I don't know what you think of it. My my one thought would be, especially coming off the heels of our IndyCar to F1 episode the other day, is that would definitely then open up a very good seat, or I shouldn't say very good seat, a very good possibility for a seat for somebody like Colton Herta. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. This yeah. is supposed to, I mean, this is this the is second time. Problems. The second yeah. time in four or five years that Michael Andrade has been linked to some sort of move like this. The first was the one referenced with Manor. The second was when our pal William Story was trying to buy uh, Force India. And at that time, Michael Andretti went to the race in Montreal and that caused a stir. Um, everybody thought he was on the horizon to buy the team, but then obviously went to Lawrence Stroll. So it's the second rich energy. Uh, oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, Michael Andretti has been, his name has been kind of been floated out there. I think the, pros are obviously the cost cutting cutting measures coming to next year i think is very good for any new prospective owner but the cons are is michael has to pay all well, his hopeless maybe he'll shift this to the responsibility of this investment group they have to pay the what like 200 million dollars to join now which yeah. 20 million of, of that goes to each team that's a tough bullet i'm, I'm imagining his indycar budget for a whole season is not anywhere near that at all in any shape or form so obviously the upfront investment is to get in is insanely large. However, if he and this group can somehow get over that, I think the long-term prospects of financial stability, which is another topic we will touch on here in a little bit, um, I think would bode well for them. So if they can get over that first hurdle, sure. I would like to see this investment group do with somebody. Obviously, Michael's a great owner and does knows what he's doing in IndyCar and has success basically everywhere. It's just a, a huge financial hurdle to tackle in the short term in order for them to get it figured out in the long term. And the one thing that would leave me wondering if it's Michael, not that if he partners with this investment firm, it would be a big deal, but they did just strike some sort of deal with BMW today about the Formula E program to continue that when BMW leaves it after this season. So I don't know if they're going to be spending more money on that. I honestly haven't done any research other than being sent a link to the news earlier today. So I haven't dug in on that one yet. But at at some point, he might have his arms stretched in too many directions to to do this but if you have a big investment firm kind of shouldering the financial load i'm sure you can find a way right and this kind of brings me to the next point here with what we were talking about with gene haas so there's a a quote that he has out there from this week part of which is funny and part of which is kind of our discussion point here so the funny part is that he basically took a shot at mclaren (laughs) his full quote is we got a lot of things changing in 2022 and 2023 so we're in the holding type holding mode type 
Let's see what we're going to do here, but we're also financially stable. I didn't have to mortgage my real estate or my race shop or any of that stuff. We're not doing what some of the other teams do and mortgage everything that they have so they can go racing. (laughs) We're just operating on the money and the budgets we have, and we can do that very successfully. So that guarantees us that we'll at least be around for the next five years. So obviously, like I said, shot at McLaren for their, he's kind of referencing them going to the Bahrain Bank to, you know, mortgaging their woking factory or selling it or i don't even know how that worked legally or not legally but i don't think they own it anymore but they're still there or something and um the positive side of what he just said is that they basically just guaranteed the Haas will be around for five years um he said latest funny couple good quotes in there too was he kept getting feedback from grosjean and magnuson on the upgrades that they spent between 20 million and 40 million dollars on and they would come back and say, like, eh, I mean, it's okay. It's not like we're the best team now, but I noticed a little difference. He's like, well, you spent $40 million on a little difference. <laughs> like, so like they said last year, they just didn't do it and saved, you know, $60 million. I mean, obviously they were terrible last year, but that was good for their bottom line. So what is your take on the, uh, what he's saying there? He said he didn't, he didn't mind being a satellite team either because that's kind of the reality of where they're at good news that Haas is staying around for a while or bad news because it kind of seems like they're resigned to where they're at. I think it's important to recognize that you, you know, your place as a, as a satellite team and it doesn't mean you're always going to be in that same position. Ferrari engines might become super powerful and, and they might move up the grid with, with some, some extra money and some extra talent. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say, hey, you know, this is this is the state of where things are now. It's it's honest. And last year when they didn't spend money on upgrades because they realized, listen, why don't we just save the money and really do a good job or a better job on things? Again, I applaud that if they're going to be around for five, six more years minimum. That's definitely a good thing. I think financial stability for any racing team coming out of or you know still dealing with covid is pretty remarkable so i don't really unless there's something i'm missing i didn't know that they had some sort of rivalry with mclaren which maybe we'll see and maybe we'll we'll see on drive to survive you know i don't i don't know maybe maybe we missed something behind the scenes but i mean it was funny i just don't know why he had to put it in there but yeah i mean good for Haas and I don't think it's a bad thing for formula one as a whole either. They're not Gene Haas doesn't seem like a, a bad guy. And now that I say that I remembered who one of their drivers is and slightly changing my tune on that one. Yeah. Did you say driver survive? I did. Oh, I forgot to add one in there. You know, you mentioned the Haas second driver. That should be a topic in there. All right. So uh, it got released earlier this week that drive to survive is coming out on March 19th. For those who don't know, it is a Netflix series that has two seasons prior out. So the season that comes out this year in 2021 obviously follows the prior season 2020. So basically the first season that was followed in this series was 2018. And it is uh, it is fantastic in my opinion. There are parts that are dramatized. Some of the sound effects I absolutely cringe at. They are not sound effects you ever hear in Formula One. But, you know, we just kind of let that slide because there's other audiences out there that might enjoy that. 
Um, other other very. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chicken flag. Three minor things that I cringe at, but as a whole, the storytelling is very good. Uh, the attention to detail when it comes to the cinematography and making sure they talk to the right people is very good. And so now we're going to focus on the 2020 season. So a lot happened last year that Mike and I, we were thankful for a lot of the activity because it gave us a lot of things to talk about. But obviously some of the stuff like Rojan's accident were very terrible, but we were glad he was okay. Uh, COVID financially hurt a lot of teams, venues, et cetera. But it's going to make for some you know good storytelling and whatnot in the series itself. So we're looking forward to that. So between you know, COVID and all the impacts, you know, maybe there's going to be a segment about people showing up to Australia and having to go home. We got Grosjean's accident. We got the Russell race with Mercedes. We got Albon and his downfall. Gasly's win at Monza. We got the silly season happenings within the season, like Vettel saying that he's leaving Ferrari or Ferrari firing him or however, however that happened, however that's going to be portrayed. Signs going to Ferrari, Ricardo going to McLaren. Alonzo coming back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now, and I guess part of that too is Haas's second driver and all the media storm that came with that. Lewis Hamilton's activism, throw that in there. Is there any one segment that you're really looking forward to seeing if it's covered in depth on the new drive to survive? It's really hard to pick one because I'm always fascinated in F1 by the in-season upgrades and, and work that teams do all the time. I'm curious to see how they handle COVID, but being that we're still living in a COVID world, you know, there's only so much of that I can handle before I want to not think about it. But if I'm going to pick like one single thing, just one out of out of all that list, I'm picking Pierre Gasly's win at Monza as my single moment, I'm most looking forward to you know, watching that you know play out over the episode or whatever. And afterwards, I'm a big Gasly fan and and a believer in his talent in the in the long term. So I would I would definitely love to see the up close and and any interviews they might have done with him afterwards or whatnot to to you know to see more than we were able to see from 
sitting on our couches and, and watching it on TV overseas. So that would be that would be my pick. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I hope Monza gets a little love because it was such a great race. And curious to see how Red Bull handled Albon and what maybe he was saying to the team behind the scenes. But uh, for sure, I'm I'm really looking forward to the Grosjean accident and how they covered that. And, you know, some of the rapid reactions they may have gotten at the time, either from like Haas's garage or behind the scenes with Haas, or I don't, I'm highly doubt they had anybody in the medical center, but just like, you know, was there somebody in race control that was talking about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, cause obviously the events of that day, we won't forget and glad that Roman's okay, but I'm curious to see how it was covered by them at the time and what they were able to collect, because that's kind of one of those things that's uh, definitely going to be, uh, I wouldn't say like scrutinized, but it's definitely going to be dissected once that comes out and once they release it. Speaking of Grosjean, his first IndyCar test today, but not really that interesting. And I know you, you posted it on the PLP Twitter page that, slow-mo recreation video of his accident was that not the most intense recreation of something you've ever seen it's really well done yeah um i can't believe it it from i was like shortly before he hit the barrier to fully decelerated was 1.6 seconds like it just blows my mind it's it's crazy um and i I really felt like i was watching like a 10 minute yeah And it was crazy that with the animation I thought did a really good job of capturing was the halo impacting the Armco and then the the airbox. I didn't realize like the airbox completely clouded the the wall and it's kind of what led to the car splitting in half. The angle that he hit was the airbox hitting the car and then just like it, that's what kind of separated the car was the airbox hitting it and the back half of the car then just split away. So it was very insightful. I imagine hopefully the FIA has their own version of it behind the scenes with their own technology. If they don't, I hope they'd reach out to whoever did it because I know they're still gathering Intel and reports and whatnot to release the findings of the accident that we're all patiently waiting for. Um, So let's hope this is maybe a sign that that could be around the corner here very soon. Yeah. I guess the only last bit of news before we wrap it up is, the tire compound choices were released by Pirelli. Really, the only change is there's softer tires at Brazil and Baku this year, which was Brazil. Brazil wasn't on the calendar last year, right? Nor was Baku. Yeah, so not much difference. I'm kind of disappointed. I want to see softer tires everywhere because it means higher tire degradation. But I guess with a new tire compound this year, we might see some changes anyway. Who knows? Yeah, we got to take notes for the uh, for the next game that comes out. Australia changed its layout, kind of minor. Uh, not too much to report. It's I'm still waiting. Like, there's a very kind of poorly done graphic that's circulating that's very hard to to make out what exactly changed. I know turns one and turns three got wider, but there were some other turns that are completely different. Kind of like uh, Spain changed one turn. For this year so it's gonna kind of be a little bit like that i think i don't know what you think i think if there's any track on the schedule that could use a couple changes australia comes to mind so she comes to mind spain comes to mind 
So two of those three have made changes. But Spain's changes don't really seem like it's addressing any of the things that actually would make that track interesting again. It's true, but at least they're trying. A for effort. Say that with complete sarcasm. Yeah, Australia, I'm, I would definitely be down for some changes. The current layout isn't really that exciting, especially you know, that turn one, two, and three combo is not particularly raceable in real life or in a video game. So I, I'd definitely be interested to see how that turns out. I, I mean, I see you know the motorsport.com article and a couple other articles written about it that say what the changes are, but Listen, F1 can say, yeah, there's there's a, a more legitimate overtaking opportunity in turns 11, 12, and 13 with this change, but does that actually translate to real-life opportunity and not just talking about it? You know, obviously, we won't know until, when is that race now? November? October, yeah. November? I'm later in the year, so November. I don't know. I guess, I guess we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by what's written, I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. It's got my attention, so we'll see. And then kind of last thing to touch on was the uh, another one of these common themes that I keep referencing when uh, I go back and watch these races in the past. So McLaren's technical director believes that teams will find a way to recover the downforce in 2021. There is an alleged 10% reduction in downforce based on the old specification. However, if I'm going to be rude and go first with this answer... There have been many, many, many changes in Formula One since 1984. Uh, engines have changed. Uh, monocoques have changed. Tires have changed. Uh, electronic aids have changed. Rear wing sizes, tire sizes, diffusers, dampers, you name it. It has changed at some point since 1984. The overarching theme though is you know obviously there are exceptions but progressively f1 cars have gotten faster every year and so if we're talking like from one year to the next uh let's use 1998 as an example they switched from flat tires smooth tires to not flat smooth tires to grooved tires in 1998 everybody thought that that was going to slow cars down dramatically but what did the engineers do? They found a way to keep the cars just as fast. Another one is in 2009, they the wholesale changes to the chassis. They thought it was going to dramatically slow the cars down. What did the engineers do? They found a way to keep the cars fast with all these sophisticated technical loopholes like the diffusers and whatnot that nobody had ever thought about before, and et cetera, et cetera. So do I think that the engineers are going to find out a way to make the cars just as fast in 2021? Now that I sit back and think about it, I have said in the past that it's going to be kind of nice that there's going to be no new track records this year and that last year is going to be as fast as we ever get it. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, engineers are super crafty with what they do, and they're like the active, the whatever, the dynamic suspension that Mercedes came out with last year. Somebody's probably going to have something like that up their sleeve this year that nobody thought of that's going to make the car fast. So you just never know a Formula One. So he could totally be right. Uh, F1 has tried to slow the cars down, but you just, as history has taught us, these engineers and car designers are super clever and usually find a way to make that speed back at some point, somehow. Yeah, I I can't argue with his opinion. Guys are always going to find loopholes to work it into their favor. 
teams like Mercedes will find the active suspension and and things like that. So there's something like that's always out there. And just you know, engineers and, and teams are so smart now. There's so much technology at their disposal that throughout the season with their testing hours available and wind tunnel hours available, they'll try things. And you know maybe because the floor is smaller, they'll add some pieces to the front and wear wings that aren't illegal right now. And they can add a little bit of downforce back. So do I think we'll see track records broken still maybe some places it'll it'll still happen but yeah i do think there's going to be it's going to happen much less this year so i'll i'll kind of split the middle from what you were saying but i do agree i i think they'll find a way it's it's just in an engineer's nature to find ways to keep speed and and keep downforce so and i don't fault them for doing that that's their job and if they can do it legally or export a loophole legally or you know i'm sure there's gonna be a ferrari out there that finds a way to do it illegally so mm. you know it's it's certainly possible and i don't i don't doubt that it'll happen but on that note we've got nothing left guys thank you again for for listening and appreciate all the interest this week by the time you're listening to this it is the opening weekend for formula e if you're into watching that i think both races are actually 11 30 a.m friday and saturday so and nascar is on sunday so there is plenty of racing to watch this weekend but enjoy your weekend and we'll be back next week with some more formula one today's podcast is presented by podgo podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O C-O. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.